Good morning. Welcome to Driving Theology. This is Mike, and it is a lovely, very beautiful day in late September. I believe we are in the last day of September, finally. I think. Maybe. Anyway, it is... September 30th. Uh, and yeah, I'm on my way to work as usual. Uh, and today is the last day of September. Um, man, it's been an eventful uh, five or six months, hasn't it? <laughs> in a lot of ways, I think we live in a new world. Uh, a world in which uh, things that we once took for granted uh, have been exposed as uh, less uh, dependable than we thought, uh, less predictable, right? Fewer things are, are absolute uh, and uh, more things are there, perhaps are more things that are possible in your mind now. Uh, than ever before, and a lot of that's scary. Uh, not all of that's uh, good possibilities, obviously. Um, so how are you holding up through all this? Uh, have you, you know, has it had an effect on you? <clears throat> Perhaps uh, in your mood, or uh, have you had any personality shifts that have gone on do you do people perhaps uh, who interact with you regularly think you have changed um, you know most of the tragedies that we go through in life we we go through largely alone or at least with a small group of people <clears throat> when a family member dies for example uh, that is usually suffered uh, alone or with a smaller group of people. Uh, illness is the same way, right? Uh, when you lose a job, uh, it's only people who know you. But this, this most recent thing that we've gone through, not only does it involve our entire uh, neighborhood, county, town, city, state, and country. Uh, it involves countries all over the world everywhere in some way, shape, or form. Uh, any kind of physical interaction between countries has, in some cases, ground to a halt. Uh, and in most cases, uh, is uh, hindered in some way. It has slowed down the process of whether you're, you know, sending goods uh, country to country or if you are uh, trying to travel, right? Any kind of physical interaction has become uh, more difficult than before. Even if it's cheaper in some cases, it's become more difficult, right? It takes more time. Uh, it takes more steps, 
right? More steps are involved in traveling these days or something like that. So uh, how do you think all of this has affected you personally? And then maybe, you know, expand that to the people around you. Uh, are we going to be living in a world with a little bit of PTSD from this? You know, have we have we suffered trauma through this as a as a an entire people? You know, is that something that we could claim, or is it more perhaps um, uh, not on the level of trauma for most people, uh, but something lighter? Uh, I know there have been people that have experienced trauma. Uh, who have either uh, suffered from COVID nineteen, uh, suffered from COVID nineteen themselves, or uh, they have a loved one who has passed away from it, or both. I know somebody who uh, both of those is true. She both had it, and her mother passed away. Um, in those extreme cases, I know there's going to be some. Uh, there is trauma involved in that process and that and that these people will need uh, time uh, and patience and, and maybe even outside help uh, to navigate life uh, after this has happened. And that's quite understandable, right? When, when we have uh, tragic events uh, that, bef that befall us, um, they almost always leave us uh, in in a different um, state than when they found us. Right? We're changed by it. Um, and if if we if this change uh, is goes on undiagnosed, uh, in other words, uh, if if something happens to us uh, and and we uh, are unaware of it and and have no no way to uh, wow this car in front of me is smoking something horrible okay uh, if if we are unaware that we have been affected, uh, then over time, I think there can be a cumulative effect on on us and those around us, right? Um, we can, um, even though it looks like we haven't changed but just a little bit today, down the road in, you know, a year, five years, ten years, twenty years, uh, the change will have been significant. It will put us on a different trajectory in life, right? It doesn't mean that that trajectory cannot be better, um, but more often than not, if if we've been through a traumatic experience and that goes uh, untreated, it has an, an a cumulative negative effect on us over time. And, and that's something that's not good, right? That, that's something that, that is certainly not a positive, I would say. It doesn't mean it can't be used, but 
uh, I think it helps us to acknowledge uh, when we experience uh, negative things and we have been affected by it, right? I suppose there are all kinds of negative things that, that don't really affect us very much that happen in our lives uh, that we just, you know, attribute to life. You know, that's part of the process of life. Uh, and there is that. But but yes, there are things that affect us. So I looked back uh, in Facebook. One of the Facebook memories came up and... And some idea that I had maybe three years ago, I think it was 2016 or 17, I don't remember exactly, but I posited the question, uh, is it possible that America, having gone through slavery and the Civil War, uh, never dealt with that, never really dealt with the effect that those things had on us as a nation. Slavery by far had the most negative effect on those who were enslaved, of course, right? Uh, and I think, I think slavery, uh, and I think that effect on the, on, on the, the enslaved, uh, Perhaps we have not uh, dealt with what that may have done to that community, right? And we haven't provided the the care um, or even diagnosed that there may be something proactive we should have done uh, to to help uh, the former slaves to. Um, adapt to society outside of slavery for sure slavery was one of the most horrible institutions that ever existed on the face of the earth I'm convinced of it and I mean American slavery not that all slavery isn't bad but um, I feel like we continue to see the effects of uh, the American form uh, of slavery and they're not good, right? Uh, I don't think anybody would say that slavery was a positive uh, for anybody involved, uh, except to say, except for the, the obvious monetary um, benefits that some people um, continue to enjoy, right? So they were given general wealth, gen no, sorry, general gen generational wealth through slavery and and that wealth has been used and invested and and uh, kept in the family all of these years it probably should have been taken from them and it should have been distributed um, amongst the enslaved to give them a um, some sort of a jump start into this new life that we just threw them into so there is there is generational instead of generational wealth of the enslaved which they were denied there is generational trauma right generational trauma that they have inherited 
from the institution of slavery and the abuse of white slave owners and white society in general. Uh, even people who uh, did not own slave, slaves uh, condoned slavery and treated the black people that they interacted with in a certain way, for sure. Um, so, but what about the effect on the rest of the country? What about the effect of slavery and the Civil War uh, and Reconstruction on the rest of the country? Is it possible that the country, the country at large, right, the entire country, suffered so much trauma in that whole process, trauma that has gone on to this day really undiagnosed and untreated. And therefore we are seeing, um, we are seeing the, the cumulative negative effects of untreated trauma in American society as a whole. Well, you know, how, what is the possibility of that? Right? Is is that a possibility? I think what it speaks to is is there such a thing as national personality? Is there such a thing as national personality? One of the things I was very surprised at when I came to Japan was we, we live very close to a coast, right? Uh, we have the Pacific Ocean to our east and in fact I can see a little bit of the ocean from my house. I live in a high place but I'm, you know, we're about 10 minutes drive, 5 to 10 minutes drive from the ocean, from the beach. Um, but what I noticed was there was a huge lack of businesses taking advantage of this beautiful coastline. Almost no businesses were built to take advantage of the view of the coast, right? And even right now, as I think about this, there's really only one in our, in our town and there are a few more around, but there are a few places that, that do um, have the, the ocean view as part of their, uh, you know, part of their appeal. But they're not like wildly popular. It's not like people are coming from all over the world to go to these restaurants and see our coastline. I thought people were stupid. You know, I thought everybody wants to sit and and, and see the see the coast, right? In America, if you go to a coastal land uh, such as California, you will see all kinds of uh, businesses on the pier and uh, restaurants and, and seafood and, and nightlife and, and uh, you know, tons and tons of visitors all year round who will 
who would love to go and, and see the sunrise or the sunset at the beach, right? Uh, or just see the ocean, right? See the sky and the ocean, the expanse uh, of those two where they meet. And, and uh, you know, there's a poetry to that view, to the view of the ocean uh, where we come from, right? So I thought, you know, why? The best thing anybody could do here is to make a, you know, build on the beach. What a great place um, to build a business, right? Take advantage of uh, this wonderful view, and nobody's doing it, so we should be able to find land. And you know, that that was my thinking. And it's still hard for me to to still not think that way. However, I experienced the tsunami of 2011. Uh, even here in our town, though it wasn't the worst hit place, uh, we lost many buildings on the coast uh, and, and a lot of infrastructure. Roads uh, were damaged. Um, all kinds of things happened um, in conjunction with that tsunami. Um, and so after, after having experienced that, I, I feel a little bit differently about structures being built close to the coast, right? I feel a lot differently about that. Um, I get it now. Like, oh, okay, yeah. You just don't know when an earthquake is going to happen that's so big. Uh, or, you know, centered in the, just off the coast, that it's going to destroy everything built in the area, right? And the reason Japanese are, are cautious about that is because they have a history. They have, they have generational trauma that they have been through um, that causes them to be more cautious about certain things uh, than I would be. Uh, which is understandable, right? It's it's perfectly understandable. Uh, there's a lot of other things, um, you know, coming from America, a very, very patriotic place, where we, you know, put the flag on everything possible, and celebrate our country, and boast about our country, and and show our national pride. Uh, coming to Japan, only the only the weirdest, most outcast Japanese organizations do that, right? Only, you know, th those people who are very patriotic uh, and and believe in a, a strong militaristic Japan, uh, those people are considered outcasts and dangerous at worst, right? Um, and of course, me coming from America, I'm like, why don't you take more pride in your country? What's wrong with that? There can't be anything wrong with that, right? <laughs> well, uh, I didn't take into account uh, what nationalism had done to that country uh, 80 and 90, even 100 years ago. Japanese nationalism, the belief that their country was exceptional uh, led them into, uh, led them on a course of action that would uh, see them conquer various parts of Asia 
and engage the U.S. in war, where I believe hundreds of thousands of people died in the Pacific based on this belief that the Japanese people and Japan as a country was exceptional, that they had some kind of a, a right and a, a divine calling to be the conqueror and protector of Asia against the uh, Western devils, right, against the West, Americas, for example. And so they had been through the trauma of losing the war, of being humiliated and subjected uh, to, to huge uh, trauma uh, with uh, two atomic bombs being dropped in Japan, with the various uh, bombings of their cities, with the occupying force of America coming in, right? With the... Uh, the, how do you say this, the, the undivining of their emperor, they saw him as divine, right? Uh, but he lost his divine status through this. And basically it affected their religion, it affected their, their nas national uh, identity, their national pride, and they realized that national pride drove them to the, that point that had they been a little bit more humble, a little bit more, uh, a little bit less nationalistic, uh, perhaps they would not have brought uh, that trauma on themselves. And so today, Japanese are very suspicious of, of patriotism, of over-the-top nationalistic celebration, right? They're very suspicious of that. And of course they are. Why wouldn't they be? Right? We, we get that. They have, they have trauma in their past that causes them to be different from some other countries. Right? Um, now, it's not that you, 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 you can't be... Um, you can't lie to yourself about your country's past. Uh, I think I think that's what most countries do. In fact, we try to put a uh, some kind of a rosy complexion on the past of our country, and Japan has tried to do that as well. In some cases, America does that, uh, and and so there there is you know if you look at how Japanese people are today, all you have to do is look at their history and the trauma that they've been through and you will get a better understanding of why they are the way they are collectively. Now that's not to say that individuals aren't just as different as anywhere else because they are, uh, but there is a collective uh, belief system uh, that is prevalent in Japan. And I think you can, you can look at their, you know, the trauma that the country has been through uh, and, and understand it better. So my question again is the, the, the problems of America, you know, the, the, today it has become less north versus south and more uh, city versus country, I think. 
Uh, I think the north is now most cities and the south is most uh, rural areas. Uh, so it's basically urban versus rural. Urban is more democratic and rural is more uh, Republican. But we're still fighting in a lot of ways uh, the Civil War. The Civil War hasn't really stopped. Um, and ironically, in that process, somehow the sides flipped, whereas the Republicans, the, the party of Lincoln, who issued the Emancipation Proclamation, they were at one point the more progressive party. And the Democratic Party, which is the older party, uh, at one point were the more traditional, right? Uh, the more uh, conservative. But today, we see that the parties have, have flip-flopped, whereas Democ the Democratic, Democratic Party is the more liberal, the more left-leaning, and the Republican Party is the more right-leaning. Um, so that's where we are today, but it still holds true, even though you know the teams have flipped, they're still the same people, they're just under a slightly different uh, flag, but it's still this us versus them mentality that was prevalent in the Civil War, uh, where one group of Americans vilified another group of Americans. And we're still in this, right? So either the Civil War has never been settled, in a sense, right? That we've been in a cold Civil War since the end of the actual war? Is that possible that we are in a cold Civil War? It's not even that cold, but... Yeah, maybe. Um, or it's just undealt with national trauma that we're still suffering from, uh, which we need to face, we need to diagnose, we need to treat, uh, and we need to commit to the treatment. But who in the world can come in and diagnose a country who has that kind of clout? Who? I ask you. America knows no equal. Americans know no equal. Americans believe that America is the best country ever founded and they will recognize no rivals, not at least that are alive today, right? We've had rivals, uh, but not equals, right? We would never admit that another country might be better or equal than us. Although I believe they exist. <laughs> I believe there are many countries that have figured things out um, and are doing a better job in certain areas than America. Um, lots of them, there are a lot of countries, and not the ones you would perhaps point to, but I think Japan is one of them, and that they've kind of learned from their 
national trauma where somehow America is in denial uh, of our PTSD. But still, I don't know who in the world is respected by both sides who could come in and say, hey, this is what's going on with America. This is the diagnosis, right? This is, uh, you know, as an expert, this is what I see. This is the diagnosis. America uh, has never ended the Civil War, and it has persisted to this day as a Cold War. And we need to end the Cold War, right? We need to end this Cold War. It needs to, we need to come together as a nation uh, and confess and and commit to loving one another uh, through this healing process, right? But there has to be some kind of uh, recognition of the sickness, right? There has to be a, some kind of a diagnosis, and there has to be a prescribed treatment, right? Um, You know, of course, Jesus can do this, right? Jesus can come in and do this. And perhaps it is going to be uh, the ministry of the church to do this. Perhaps Perhaps that's what it is. Perhaps the church, who in many ways simply reflects... Uh, what's going on in American society at large and has the same uh, suspicion of other churches which are populated with people of a different political bent. But perhaps that's what we're waiting for. We're waiting for the Spirit. Um, No, we're not waiting for the Spirit. The Spirit always wants reconciliation. We are waiting for Christians to listen to the Spirit and to obey the Spirit of reconciliation. For Christians to be reconciled with their brothers and sisters around the world and to start to be this healing in America and in the entire world. Right? That that we we are the prescription for what ails the world. Jesus has given this us this ministry. And so the church, in the name of Jesus, and I say the church, um, let me say it a different way, believers, right, in the name of reconciliation, in the, in the name of the Spirit of Jesus, have got to be reconciled one to another so that we can begin to be the reconciliation that the world longs for and needs. And I think we can do this in our communities, right? And I think we will have to reach out to, uh, you know, church to church, even brother to brother, maybe even in your own neighborhood, you know. Uh, You know, if you're a Baptist, a uh, family who lives next to a Lutheran family, well, there you go. Reach out to them. Begin there. Begin small and let that, 
you know, let that uh, feed into uh, the rest of the church slowly. But we have no reason not to do it face-to-face, person-to-person. It doesn't have to be an organization as big as a church. But Christians need that spirit of reconciliation in each of us. Right? That, that's, where, that's where we show that we belong to Christ. Christ is the great reconciler. Uh, and if we, don't, if we don't carry his message of reconciliation uh, to the rest of the world, what in the world are we doing anyway? Is there anything else besides that? Is there anything else worth even thinking about? If we're not reconcilers, then we're not followers of Christ, uh, and therefore we, we, have, we have nothing to do in the church. If you're not going to be a reconciler, if you're not going to take the, the message of Jesus, which is reconciliation, Jesus reconciliation, right? Which is full, complete, unconditional. You know, so much of the world still harbors this idea that God is somewhat of a, an antagonistic presence to man. In other words, he doesn't approve God doesn't approve of what man is doing on some level and therefore uh, is against man. And if that's the case, then as a man, I can be somewhat antagonistic to other men, right? If, if God has given me this, uh, this ability, shown me this model of, of uh, antagonism, antagonism between him and me, then on some level I can have, you know, I can be justified in having an antagonistic relationship between myself and my fellow man, right? If they don't do something that I don't agree with or whatever. And so this, this false notion that somehow God is uh, against man, that God is anything but for man, uh, is causing this, this ability for people to not be reconciled, right? It's causing, it's causing uh, the possibility that perhaps people can be divided and still please God, which is the case, right? That's, that's the ir- irony. Yes, we can be divided and still please God because God is nothing but for us, right? But his model is to accept everyone regardless of what they do, what they say, um, that what they think, right? We can accept everyone. We can love everyone. We can be reconciled to everyone. That's that's the 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 example of Jesus, right? So even if even when we are even even when we refuse, even as we refuse to be reconciled to our brother, we are still reconciled to Christ, right? His model of reconciliation 
eventually, if you see it, if you believe it, if you understand it, if you don't believe the lies that he is anti antagonistic somewhat to man, then, then eventually you will realize that he does not hold out any possibility that you can be antagonistic to man. He says in any situation, in any case, that you can be reconciled to your brother no matter what. Uh, then, then I think eventually you will lean into that, and it will grow, and it will it will bloom and blossom and have fruit, uh, and you will start to resemble that reality that that Jesus has blessed you with. So, I guess my prescription is number one: Christians everywhere need to believe that Jesus is nothing but accepting of them and accepting of, of everybody everywhere that he has from his part reconciled all mankind to himself and we know this because he died on the cross he chose a horrible death to illustrate this point and so number two we are allowed we have permission Yay, we are encouraged to accept people everywhere, no matter what. And I have to run into work, and I could probably continue on this subject for a little while longer. Um, but I don't have the time. Be reconciled. Be reconciled. That's my message. Bye-bye.